and so it was very challenging, you know, to go to work because everybody's expecting to outdo each other, you know, like they used to do. That's that's the strange thing about trumpet players. They are, when people get two trumpet players together, it's, uh, it becomes very competitive. With his soulful, expressive sound, the late trumpeter Freddie Hubbard helped to define the hard bop era of the 1960s. And in the 70s, he even outpaced Miles Davis's popularity as the top trumpeter among listeners and critics. In 1958, at the age of 20, Hubbard had moved to Brooklyn, New York from his hometown of Indianapolis and roomed with the forward-thinking saxophonist Eric Dolphy. At the time, New York City was full of legends in the making. Lee Morgan, Ornette Coleman, John Coltrane, and many other greats. Hubbard jammed with all of them and honed his sound in the process. Freddie Hubbard passed away in 2008, and in our 1992 interview recorded by Bill Brower and Steve Rowland, he looked back to that Brooklyn music scene in the early 1960s. This is Jazz Stories. I'm Alexa Lim. Testing one, two. Okay, today is March 14th, 1992. Bill Brower, Steve Rowland talking with Master Trumpeter Freddie Hubbard. Hey, thank you very much. Thanks for spending a few minutes with us. Um, <clears throat> could you uh, share with us some thoughts on, on Joe Henderson um, as a counterpart in your association with him musically? Well, Joe, Joe came to Brooklyn uh, back in the 60s, and he moved in with uh, Junior Cook over there. And I had been playing around Brooklyn with Junior Cook before he joined Hard Silvers. And they both sound alike for a long time. You couldn't tell the difference between a lot between Joe Henderson and Junior Cook. And they both ended up working with Hard Silvers. And, and I think Joe stretched out a little more, uh, you know, got a bigger name and did a lot of records with different people. And we had a chance to do a lot of recording on Blue Note together. And Joe, he reminds me a lot of Sonny Rollins. Sonny Rollins, I worked with Sonny Rollins 19, I think not by 1961 about eight months, and let me tell you, that was a thrill. But Joe Henderson reminds me of something a lot, the way he plays, you know. Plays very hip. And it's, it's good to play with him, you know. Yeah, I, I wish I could play with him more often. He's made, we made my 10 records together. That's a whole lot of records, man. <laughs> Talk a, a little bit about him and your association. Book a little. Yeah. Book a little. And I both worked with Slide Hampton back in uh, the early 60s. And Slide had a 10 piece group. Uh, he had George Coleman in it and uh, Peter Roca and some other guys. But uh, we played some nice music, man. We worked a few gigs around New York. And Book a little. Uh, and I used to practice together quite a bit. I would come all the way from Brooklyn and come uptown, you know, practice with me. Yeah, he was a hell of a trumpet player. He was one of those Chicago uh, conservatory cats like Wynton Marsalis, very technical. 
and he uh, just he, he, just before he died, he, he began to slow down and, and play with some soul, you know. And uh, I was sitting next to him when he got sick, down at the jazz gallery down in the Lower East Side, and I saw him getting sick, and I went out of town and came back in two weeks. He was dead. Believe that leukemia. He didn't, I, I don't think he knew that he had it. Like this ballad that I wrote, Book, Lament for Booker, you can slide, arrange it, because he knew Booker, so he could really uh, put his feeling into to the music and, and kind of express along with me what I meant. For instance, like when I got to the bridge, that's the first time I realized, I looked at him and realized he was sick. And to see him dying, you know, in two weeks, I mean, it's, it was... It was an experience I'll never forget, but Slide, he captivated that soul and feeling and put it into the music. challenging, you know, to go to work because everybody's expecting to outdo each other, you know, like they used to do. That's, that's the strange thing about trumpet players. They are, when people get two trumpet players together, it's, it becomes very competitive for some reason. I don't know. But Booker Little was, he died when he was 22. And, uh, he did a lot of good music, great music with Eric Dolphy before he died. I was um, happy to have known him. He was a great guy. See, uh, during that period, musicians used to get together. different people's houses and practice and get together and trade ideas. Like me and Eric used to practice all day on, on uh, some Indian music, you know, for instance. And then I would maybe go over and jam with all that comes.
it was different styles uh, that you could draw from more back in the 60s. I mean, guys were more compatible, I would say. I mean, everybody now is, I think the younger kids, they, they listen to records a lot. And so there's, there's, not, there's not too many original young cats out of today. And that's the reason. But it's good that they're carrying on the tradition of the music by playing it, you know. But I think that they should they should uh, get together more, so they can have different styles. That makes you stronger when you can draw from different sources. When when you all were that, playing at that time, what what was your perception of playing big band music? Was at that time was it was it like something you weren't interested in? It was uncool. I never, you know, I always wanted to solo, so it, it was very difficult for me to sit there and read parts all day. I worked with Quincy Jones' big band. 1961, he took me to Europe first time, and I was in there with Oliver Nelson, Phil Woods, uh, Les Spann, a lot of great guys, you know, Clark Terry and those guys. I had a chance to learn how to read big band music. But man, I used to sit in that trumpet section, I could never hear myself. A Benny Bailey and all those guys, strong powerhouse guys. And, but I learned a lot. Uh, and I used to do studio work around New York here. You know, I used to, I might do a Greek commercial or something, you know. Eight o'clock in the morning, and then I used to do a TV show called Look Up and Live. It was kind of a religious type uh, jazz music. What was this guy's name? We praise thee, O God. We acknowledge thee to be the Lord. All the earth doth worship thee, the Father everlasting. To thee all angels cry aloud, the heavens and all the powers therein. To thee cherubim and seraphim. Anyway, he wrote that strange music. European, I don't know what you call it, but it sounded like church music to me, Lutheran, some kind of Lutheran music, but it, it gave me opportunity to, to learn how to read that kind of music. It's, it's different sources to draw from the kids of the day, they need to check all that out. They don't have to, I mean, but it will make them stronger and it help them create their own style. See, it's something to just play an instrument, but to develop a style. It's no, no matter what anybody hear you, they say, that's it. Now, the young kids, I, it's very few that I, you can say, you know what that is. And that's because they, they, they don't have no, enough background. It takes a little while to really get your own style. Jazz Stories, from our archival interview with the late trumpet master, Freddie Hubbard. You can find all of our Jazz Stories and more information about upcoming Jazz at Lincoln Center performances at jalc.org. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Jazz Stories is produced at Murray Street, with support from Jazz at Lincoln Center. So stop by a show when you're in New York City, or check out the Jazz at Lincoln Center Orchestra on tour. Support the institution that supports so much jazz. I'm Alexa Lim.